This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. In a game played at 100 miles per hour, Morgan Whitaker picked up where Vincent Pericard left off a mere 17 and a half years ago with a home park hat-trick as Argyle hit Norwich for six. Interspersed with Morgan's spicy finishes were goals for Dan Scar and Finazaz. Norwich was sunk, but not without a brace from Adam Ida before Bundu's Liga debut ended with Mustafa putting it on a plate for Cundall to bundle in, to leave the Canaries, if not in the coal mine, then at least in the doghouse, and wishing that they'd been at the Home Park Pub in St Ives instead, though it's not clear that they'd have been able to organise a piss-up there either. As you could probably hear, I'm not Aaron. Uh, he's conflicted out of this week's podcast because of his ties to Norwich, or he's on a train. I'm not sure I wasn't listening when he told me why he couldn't be here. Uh, anyway, I'm John, and joining me this week are the Darren Huckabee to my Dean Ashton. It's Sam Down. Good evening. The John Ottsemabor to my Max Aaron's. It's Joe Bell. What a what a great um, comparison that is. Even evening Aaron. Up oh, John. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Aaron, the Yusef Safri to my Todd Cantwell, Dan Ellard. You've gone for my exact era of like banter championship players as well. Well happy with that. A bit harsh on Todd Cantwell. And finally, the Dear Mercy Umbakani to my Ricky Van Vulsfinkel. It's Graham Clark. Never heard of any of them. Well, yeah, Norwich fans probably wish they hadn't heard of Ricky uh, Van Volswinkel too. Graham, let's start with you. I'm not going to ask everyone to talk through the game because there are quite a few of us on the pod tonight. But if you could kick us off by giving us your thoughts on what we saw yesterday. Probably the best Argyle home performance in living memory. Certainly in all my time supporting the club, I can't remember such a compelling performance against the standard of opposition. Let's remember Norwich were fourth in the table, not long, too long relegated from the Premiership, several ex-Premiership and Championship players, and we absolutely slaughtered them. Absolutely slaughtered them with a change in style that was unexpected, which worked remarkably well. And we played with a fluency and energy that we did under the 4-3-3 system. But this time with a clinically cl- clinical finishing that um, gave us the scoreline. And in truth, it could have even reached the uh, Newcastle proportions if 
Um, we'd been a bit more clinical, but I mean, that's a bit harsh. We were fantastic. And there's several players. I, I, I just want to highlight one player who didn't score, and that was Ryan Hardy, because I think he played a part in the first five goals, whether <clears throat> making runs off or the pass or whatever. And I thought that was a, a stunning performance from somebody who didn't score. Now, um, know what Aaron feels like when people on the podcast answer questions that you've written down in advance. So I promise to Aaron uh, that I'll be a reformed character when I'm back in the guest chair next week. Aaron likes sometimes to, to get us to talk through the goals individually. I think if we did that tonight, we'd be here until midnight. So, Sam, why don't you take us through the entirety of the Morgan Whitaker hat-trick? Yeah, I mean to be honest, it, when it was that many goals, actually, I'm struggling, struggling to remember exactly how they how they sort of played out. I think the first one was the I think it went down went down the right hand side, didn't it, and um, got pulled back. I think by his lads to Whitaker, who just sort of slotted it neatly between two defenders. I think we initially weren't really sure if it took a deflection. I definitely remember that, but it watching watching it again. Um, I don't think it did take a deflection. Um, I I first... felt like I felt like in in real time it didn't look deflected, and then the first time I saw the video of it, I thought it did look deflected, and now I've settled on it not being deflected. Finally, that's more or less the trajectory I went on with it as well. Yeah, the third one was um, a counter attack, and he he's just sort of danced for a few players and and unleashed from about sort of twenty twenty two or so yards and um, put it in the corner. Maybe if you're a Norwich fan, you're thinking the keeper can do a bit better with it, but it's a wonderful finish by by Whitaker and the uh, his uh, his third or fifth was a um, lovely raking ball over the top by um, <laughs> Azaz, I think it was, yeah, and then it was Hardy who's then on the no, I'm describing the one he missed. It should have made it five nil. Um, it was the ball over the top for the actual goal. Was the ball over the top by Randall? Uh, and then, and then, Azaz had, had sort of um, crossed a, a cross goal, and he's just sort of arrived in in the six yard box. And at six yard box, it's a kind of poacher's finish. I mean, it seems it, it's such a good thing that we've scored so many goals, and I'm getting my goals muddled up, and I'm not sure which one's which, which is um, just just incredible to say. And then, who would have possibly thought that we'd score six goals in a game? Wow, um, we didn't even score six goals in a game once in our entire six-year tenure in the championship um, last time out. Um, and I think the, the only time even since that promotion to the championship we scored six in a game was the Newport promotion match when we won 6-1, uh, which is one of the most memorable games of recent times. So, yeah, just absolutely incredible. Great hat-trick by Whitaker. Great finish for, for all three of them. I think he, he himself will probably feel a bit annoyed as Graham kind of alludes did it. He, he didn't get that one um, for the one-on-one, um, but could have before we actually scored the fifth. But, you know, that's, that, that, that's you know, I'm sure we can forgive him that one when he's, when he's been in such a fantastic performance and we've, we've won 6-2. Um, yeah, just, just incredible. And I, um, I'm, I'm telling myself having to eat my words to a very large extent of, of what I said after Tuesday's defeat because I was really starting to, to fear for us, although also perhaps proved right in some extent, saying we should go to three at the back. Just thought I'd get that one in for the listeners, because I know that one of our listeners tweeted us um, at, at 2pm saying, Sam will be delighted we've gone to three at the back. And I was delighted and I was even more delighted at full time. Yeah, we'll come on to the the system in a little while. I think to clear it up for the goals, as I remember it, 
the Whitaker hat trick goal was actually Hardy who showed some great footwork and slid it in down the channel for Azaz, who then crossed for Whitaker. And I think the the one that Whitaker missed was Randall with this incredibly composed piece of play, deep lying in midfield, sort of waited to see where the Norwich defender backtracking was going to be before pinging it over to, um, again, Azaz, I think. Uh, Hardy may have been involved in that one too, but certainly Azaz with the decisive pass into Whitaker, who was, was denied by... Angus Gunn. Yeah, that's um, right. Ask, do you think Gunn should have done better for Whitaker's second goal? But you, you sort of mentioned that you think if you're a Norwich fan, you should have done. I, I think is, I think it's not right in the corner from Whitaker, but and and also Gunn's footwork is a little bit weird. It seemed like he was sort of way too far back on his heels. But John, you're the host. You're not allowed to have opinions anymore. Oh, that's that's true. Um, I'll, I'll revert to Aaron Blandness from here on in. Dan, Whitsam handled the Whitaker hat trick. Why don't you talk us through the other three goals that we uh, that we witnessed from Argyle yesterday? Yeah, second goal was was very pleasing and kind of leads back to a general point. Whilst it was a free kick, and this point is perhaps more about corners, but um, we played a lot of our corners short yesterday, which I think is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, when we when you're floating them into the box and consistently not scoring from them. Um, you kind of think, well, what's the? We might not even bother bother bringing the centre backs up. We might as well just get the ball back in play, get our really good dribblers on the ball, and create a chance from there. Um, the second goal was obviously not a corner, but it was a free kick, and we spotted the opportunity of rather than just swinging it into the box from a reasonable area, um, we had a little two on one overload down the side, and um, got into a good position to cross in. Uh, I think there was a bit of confusion at the time as to whether it was a Norwich player who hit his own crossbar. But I think on the highlights, it does look like it's Gibson, doesn't it? Who who kind of pokes a pokes a yeah. leg out and it and it hits the bar. Um, and then a really composed finish by Scar. I think it was one that centre backs could have could you could say they might snatch at them. I'm reminded of a chance that that Leighton Orient centre back had in the uh, League Cup game down here where he kind of the ball came back to him from about six yards out and he scooped it against the crossbar I think Scar showed a lot, Scar showed a lot more composure um, than that player and just just slotted it home really nice nice finish and number four was just kind of jaw on the floor time wasn't it because yeah, right after number three we were all kind of in dreamland and then straight away again just such a clinical bit of play from Azaz it's it's the little angle he creates and I think when you look back on the highlights it looks like the keeper perhaps could have done better it's not right in the corner but I just think Azaz takes it so early you know gets into the box does a few step overs and then it's that little shift onto his left to create the angle for the shot it's fantastic it's too quick for the defenders it's too quick for the keeper to kind of think oh he's about to you know um he's about to shoot here and I think he just completely takes him off guard. It was a brilliant bit of play and kind of capped a brilliant performance from him. Um, and number six was, yeah, pure football cliches, pure icing on the cake. A wonderful, wonderful ball in from Bundu. Um, really promising cameo from him. Appreciate that, you know, Norwich were kind of pushing forward and he had plenty of space on the counter. But still, he, he looked really sharp in his cameo, which is great. Perfectly weighted ball in and Cundall, nice and composed, could have hit it first time, but had the kind of composure to take a touch, slot it home. And yeah, 6-2. I mean, who who on earth would have seen that coming? Do you think, um, same question as for Sam, that Gunn could have done better with the Azaz one? I mean, for me, it's goal of the game. And, and in real time, 
it looks like it's just really zipped past him into the corner. Not much he could do about it. But the angle on the replay, it sort of looks like it, again, it looks like his positioning is is not ideal for it. Yeah, like I said, I think it's just he hits it early enough that it takes him by surprise. I think if Gunn had expected him to be shooting, and if Azaz hadn't kind of taken it so early after shifting it to his left, um, I think he perhaps could have or would have been more expected to save it. But I think just because it was a bit of a kind of almost a pot shot sounds a bit lucky, but you know what I mean? Just just hitting it earlier than he expected. I think that's why it's gone in rather than it being a massive keeper error. I don't think that's probably the greatest thing. I don't think Angus Gunn had a particularly bad game. I mean, you know, there's a, we could argue a little bit about the Whitaker one and, and, um, and the Azaz one, as we say, but you know, he hasn't done a lot wrong. He's made a good save one-on-one from Whitaker. He's, he's not had a particularly bad game and we've stuck six past them. Barry Evans says, I'm looking forward to ref watch. Surely Mumba's needless challenge was outside the box. Not that we are complaining. This was not the only uh, listener comment that we had about this. Um, and so, Joe, I know given that you, you weren't at the game yesterday, if I, I'm right in thinking. So I will throw this one to you for an early ref watch start. We really need to get a, a jingle going for, for ref watch, don't we? I'll have to get Aaron on that when he comes back. Yeah, we do. Um, and. On on the whole, I'm I'm largely complimentary of of the referee's performance. I think I watched it twice actually the full match replay, just because there were various things that I missed the first time that I'd watched it. Overall, I was I was pretty pleased with how the referee handled the game. I don't think you noticed him massively um, compared to previous performances that we've seen from officials. But then you do have I think there are two massive moments in the game that the officials end up getting wrong. The f- I mean, I was on here last week after Preston um, going on about how their second goal was offside um, with the lads stood in an offside position. And unfortunately, this week I have to be consistent and Ryan Hardy comes back from an offside position and deliberately interferes with play um, in standing in front of Ben Gibson. Um, that is a, a disappointing aspect I suppose from a Norwich point of view that the first goal had VAR been in place in the championship wouldn't have stood um, that doesn't decry from their deplorable performance um, or take anything away from how clinical and ruthless Argo were and then of course the second incident is as you've mentioned the, the penalty which is a good yard yard and a bit outside the penalty area the the initial contact that certainly the initial contact is there's there's no doubt that Onel Hernandez chooses very wisely when to go to ground performs a miraculous somersault um, that I've never seen anyone perform on a football pitch before um, when he does end up in the penalty area. The one thing we're not doubting is that it is a foul. It, you know, it's clumsy, it's reckless, it's needless from Mumba. It's a li- he's a little bit over-enthusiastic to get one over, obviously, one of his former teammates. But I think actually the baffling part of all of this it's a difficult decision for the referee to make whether or not he thinks it's in or outside the area. It's a very brave decision for him to come up with the fact that he has to be absolutely certain that that's inside the area. So kudos to him if he thought it was, even if it wasn't. But this, the strange thing for me is there's no yellow card brandished. A, for the challenge from Mumba, and B, for the reaction from Onel Hernandez in in goading Bali Mumba. I, I, I was a little bit shocked that but, I mean, really, the fairest thing to do would have been to book both players and no one could have complained. Mumba for the tackle and Hernandez for his reaction. So that was a little bit surprising. But on the whole, um, thought the referee had a pretty decent game. 
he wasn't helped by his linesman on the first one and it was a it was a gutsy call for the, the penalty which ultimately he might have got wrong but I'm sure somebody out there will manage to find an angle that proves me wrong. Yeah, so um my understanding and someone should correct me if I'm wrong is that there's there's a bit of a misunderstanding about the rules in this area that a lot of football fans have which is if a foul, the foul is not is not given based on the first point of contact. If you start fouling someone outside the area and continue fouling them into the area, that can be a penalty. And so I think for that reason, I think that Mumba incident is a lot less cut and dried than a lot of people seem to based on a screenshot that shows the first contact is very much outside the box. Yeah, we don't have VAR angles in the championship, but I've watched it back quite a few times from a number of angles and reckon that the whole foul is actually outside the box i don't think he actually touches him at all inside but i do want to just add that level of nuance that it isn't actually just as simple as saying mumbers you know clips his heels outside the box and therefore it cannot possibly be a penalty so i think it doesn't quite work like that does anyone else want to weigh in on that on that decision yeah you kind of took the words out of my mouth you are right in that but equally i don't think there was any contact between the two players in the box i think the contact then was outside the box and then Hernandez then falls into the box. Yeah, I think that's um that that's correct. But uh, Sam, yeah, um, if that's we can moan about, there's not a lot. Yes, yeah, and Paul Burke says uh, no. Sorry, not Paul Burke. That's a, that's a comment for later. Um, harder than it looks. This this hosting gig. Jamie Beal says surely VAR should be used everywhere or nowhere. The Prem's had it for two seasons now. Shrug emoji. Not saying I'm a big fan of it anyway. But still, that wasn't even close to being a pen. Sam, uh, I know you are a big, big fan of the video assistant referee. Do you think it should be used in the championship? Um, uh, no. <laughs> well, for one, for one, it has made me a bit of John Shark Adam, I'm not a big fan of VAR at all. I think it causes more questions than answers. But even if you accept that VAR has a place, I don't think you can really say it can be everywhere or nowhere. Because how are you going to get the technology and the infrastructure to have VAR at you know some of the poorest League Two clubs? I mean, I think that's not on the car, you know, I can maybe accept the case that any championship club should be able to have it, but not not beyond that. And I think even even with regard to championship clubs, I don't, I'm certainly not clamouring for it. I'm really not. I think you've got to have 36 cameras for VAR. So yeah. that's not really for championship level. We've got goal line technology and I don't think it's ever been used in any of the games in the championship so far. But um, No, exactly. In the... Uh, game uh, where the referee had to test whether it went over the line or not at, at Bristol City but um, just on, on the penalty I think it comes into the category I've seen them given if it was us we would have claimed it so it was a penalty it was a rash challenge by Mumba but like like um, as said Hernandez had a go and so did Stacey so they're both had a go at Mumba, which was a bit unsavoury, I think, because probably because he showboated in front of them, in front of the dugout, and they didn't like it. So I think there's a bit of retribution going on. Yeah, you sort of wonder if there's some Norwich City office politics involved in that, but I don't believe that Stacey and Mumba really overlapped at all. Bar, bar Literally by about a week, a week or two yeah. in pre-season, that was about no, it, yeah. I suspect that was something to do with things that Mumba did during the game, although I have to say incredibly tin-pot behaviour to scream in an opponent's face at all, let alone when you are 5-1 down. Joe, you uh, were frantically waving your hand, wanting to to weigh in, and then we will move away from this, um, you know, ultimately quite irrelevant aspect of what was otherwise a great game. 
No, I mean, I think we should all be very grateful that we were 5-1 five five, up at the time this penalty was given and it wasn't 2-1 or something because then I'd be absolutely incensed and there'd be steam coming out of my ears. Um, just going back on the point about um, the listener's comment about VAR, either you have it in the Premier League or you have it in the or you don't have it at all. If Sorry, you have it in all leagues or you don't have it at all. I think Graham hits the nail on the head when he talks about you've got to have 36 cameras or whatever it is to um, have VAR running at its maximum potential, even if in the Premier League they still manage to get it wrong with the 36 cameras. Um, but your bigger issue is having it in the, champion, if, in the championship um, is there just isn't the officials either. Um there's, there's not the number of qualified people who'd be able to make the decisions. There's just about enough qualified people to run the Premier League's VAR department. Um, so it, it just comes down to a sheer sheer numbers issue. Um, and to be honest, if there was VAR, we wouldn't be able to have a ref watch segment. And then why would people keep listening after we've talked about the game? Yeah, I don't think um, VAR... Well, you, well we, would, we would, Joe, because as you've seen in the Tottenham game today, the VAR can be used and it can still produce a number of really remarkable decisions but yeah anyway it's not happening unless we get promoted this season we won't be seeing VAR anytime soon so let's hope we get promoted and then we can talk about VAR to our heart's content yeah and, and as we all know if there was VAR in the championship it would only buttress some uh, immense uh, massive anti-Leeds conspiracy anyway um, before we um, move on back on to all the good things about yesterday Dan is there any concern at all that we conceded Two goals. I mean, conceding twice has been enough to send us to defeat in a number of games this season. We're not going to score six every week, and you know, we, we it did. It was potentially a little bit reminiscent of some of our other games this season that we let those goals in so quickly, one after the other. Do you have any any level of concern there? Short answer: No. Long answer: Not not really, because it, when we're Still, I know we, you know, the the kind of there was a bit of style change and a formation change, obviously yesterday. But in general, we are still a very aggressive team in terms of committing bodies forward, wanting to create chances, wanting to score goals, and the inevitability of that is we're gonna we're gonna leak some at the other end. So no, I'm not concerned on the basis that I think we will be able to outscore teams quite a lot of the time, especially at home you know, 13 goals in four home games, which is just astonishing. The question will be when we go away from home, as we've seen, you know, one point from four away games, will we be able to do that? Uh, so far, you know, it hasn't really worked in the sense of we've scored in three of our four away games, but obviously, you know, lost all of the ones in which we've scored. So it, it's difficult. I think the the defense, the defensive structure, as it was yesterday, uh, is encouraging. I think Plegathuelo looks a really good fit at right centre back in terms of, you know, it, it's a tricky role. I think you've got to mark zonally quite a lot of the time. Know when to push out. Know when to tuck in and stay compact with your middle centre back. It's it's not an easy role to master. Uh, I think he did he did really really well there. Um, and Gibson had a good game too. Uh, I think Macaulay Gillespie will be keen to get in there. Um, you know, he he was excellent last season, and and I think he will be able to make the step up and be a good left centre back. But right now, Plegathuelo, Scar, Gibson is a good back three, and with Houghton and Randall as that double pivot, I mean, they were astonishing yesterday. And generally, the way they've started the season, 
that's a good double pivot to have in front of those three centre-backs as well. So time will tell. Um, obviously, we've got Mike Cooper to come back as well at some point. You know, I'm, I'm I'm still very happy with Connor Hazard, but, you know, that might, Cooper might help in that department as well. If from an entertainment point of view, yeah, it's brilliant. And from a let's try and get to 50 points point of view, I'm still not worried, but let's see how it goes away from home. I was... Really frustrated when you go five nil up inside fifty minutes. You want to the the one objective then is right. Keep a clean sheet. Get out of it with a five nil, six nil, however many it ends. Just end with a clean sheet. And I was really frustrated that we did concede two. But actually, I think for all of Norwich's problems yesterday, and there were a lot of them, I think we also have to give credit for their first goal because they knocked it about at the back. They flicked a switch, and they went from back essentially from just inside their own half to Ida running through behind our defence in three touches of the ball, three, four touches of the ball. It was a really, really slick move. It was their best bit of football all afternoon, for my for my opinion. And I just think on that count, you have to give them a little bit of credit for that and say, hold your hands up and say, look, that was just a really good goal that was scored against us. Um, and as we touched upon, the second goal was just a really rash challenge that leads to a penalty. So... In terms of whether or not we should be concerned or not, no, we probably shouldn't because of the fact they've scored a really good goal and, a, you know, a penalty. Um, you know, if you, there's nothing I don't think we could have done to prevent the first goal, if I'm honest. So it's just one of them things. If if it had come off, you know, if it was a ricochet that we'd failed to clear or we hadn't dealt with a set piece, then yes, we could be concerned by it. But um, I just think we've got to hold our hands up with that one and, and just move on. Can I just say, I think he was actually offside when the ball was first played to him. He was it's up. a real touch and go one, I think. It's I've looked at it a couple of times and I wasn't totally sure as to where his run started. It's difficult for me looking at Argyle TV, except you guys might have had better views in the stadium, but it's a close one, definitely. I think that's a good place to take a break. And I promise when we come back, we're talking about all the good things that we saw yesterday. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And we're back. Let's read through some listener comments shall we um that touch on uh some of the other things that i think we should talk about yesterday's game uh paul burke who actually is his turn to have his comment right out this time after i jumped the angus gun earlier says wow what a response from team and manager going back to three slash five at the back did mean we had less control in the opposition half but we looked more comfortable defensively for most of the game and crucially were clinical with our chances and Gavin Jones asks, does Shuey revert to 4-3-3 in other matches now or stick to three at the back? And if we had our shooting boots on against Birmingham and Preston, as we did today, and won those games, do you think he would have reverted back to three at the back, even with the drubbing at Bristol? Um, 
we've touched on the the system a little bit, but obviously it was a um, big reversion back to the uh, 3-4-3, whatever you want to call it, that we played last year that served us so well in League One, but that we have so far this season put aside for variations on a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. Sam, do you want to take uh, Gavin's pair of questions? Yeah, but one of them wasn't Gavin. One of them was Paul Burke. You were taking the credit away from him again. Paul Burke had uh, more of a comment than a question, actually. Oh, OK. So my, I'm asking you to answer Gavin's question. But if you want to come and sit in what? this in this chair, which is a lot harder than it looks, then, you, then you're welcome to. What one, one Twitter space does <laughs> not really. an Argyle Life host make? My apologies to Paul Burke, who's, who's probably heard his name far more than he ever intended to listening to this podcast. But to answer Gavin's question... Um, <laughs> Sorry, to answer Gavin's question, yes, I was an advocate of going back to it. I think I said after the Bristol game that that um, we had to go back to back to basics, back to what we were comfortable with to some extent. That doesn't necessarily mean going ultra defensive, but it does mean going more counter attacking and at times a bit more direct. I, I turned to my, my my friend who I was watching the game with yesterday, and I said in the first twenty five minutes, I think we've seen more sort of long balls into the channels than we probably had in the previous three or four games combined up to then. I don't think that was necessarily a bad thing. We, we were going a little bit more direct. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was route one, but it was more sort of route two, maybe, rather than the more convoluted routes. We were getting there, getting the ball up the pitch from before. It wasn't quite such an emphasis on playing out from the back. We had the, the wide centre-backs into the channels and, and they were going direct when, when the option was there. And even when the option wasn't there, it was getting it into the right, you know, ballpark of the pitch and often winning, winning throw-ins or, or winning corners from it. So... I think that was what was needed. I think it was a bit more compact. It was a bit tighter. Uh, we didn't allow them so much um, defensively. I think they they had very little in the way of chances in the first half. They had that one pot shot at nil-nil from about 25 yards out, but hasn't tipped away. What, it's, a, it's a long shot from range and it was right in the middle of the goal. So you would have been very disappointed if, if, he, if he had done anything other than save that. So I don't think you can count that as a, as a, as a real chance or probably not even as a half chance, really. So it did the job. It restricted Norwich to um, next to nothing. And yeah, blimey, how good were we on the counter, as we've alluded to, with some of these goals? That fourth goal in particular is is the pick of the lot, not just for the outrageous bit of skill from the absolutely brilliant Finizaz. And I'm sure we'll come on to discuss his performance in more detail, but not only for the skill from the brilliant Finizaz, but also the team play in getting the ball out and, and getting it up the pitch from um, from with deep within our own half. Um, so, yeah, I think absolutely vindicated in, in going back to a back three. And I think it will stay there for the foreseeable future. Look, maybe if we got a back four with the inverted fullbacks, I think maybe the logic, the, the argument against that would be if we get that right, it could be absolutely amazing to watch as we saw hints of in the first six games. But if we don't get it right, it could be really, really horrible to watch. And I think with the formation yesterday, it showed we're just as capable of getting it right and it being amazing to watch, but with a much lower risk of getting it wrong and it being awful to watch. So I'm not saying we should absolutely, and I did maybe, you know, in a bit, I think that, the, you know, in semi-jest after the game, I said, now we should hopefully never hear the words inverted fullbacks ever again. And that was a bit of a jovial comment and, and I don't really entirely stand by it, but I think, yeah, the three at the back is absolutely the way it's going to go for the, for the foreseeable future and quite rightly so. Yeah, um, Pete Gartrell says, or Gartrell, I'm going to borrow Aaron's cluelessness at pronunciation here. All season, we've had the majority of possession in games, but not got the result. Yesterday, dot, 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 31 possession, 
three crying with laughter emojis. And uh, Gossi or Gossi says, is this us now implementing the same tactics which have beaten us recently? We've gone from dominating possession to sitting back and being clinical on the counter-attack. Graham, do you think that 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 change in formation which Sam has just discussed kind of goes hand in hand with that apparent change of tactics or do you see the two? I I think one of the the two areas where we were severely lacking at Bristol City and to a lesser extent at Preston was we didn't win second balls and we gave the ball away. Yesterday, we won all the second balls and we didn't give the ball away. And that makes such a difference in the the middle of the field. As a result, we're able to move the ball quickly and score the counter-attack goals. I think what's happened is we've now got the so-called plan A and plan B because I thought Norwich played a high line, which played into our hands to run behind on the counter-attack. But there are going to be teams, particularly coming to home park, that are not going to play that way, which makes the uh, 3-4-2-1 a little bit more difficult to implement. So I don't think we've seen the end of the 4-3-3 and inverted four-backs. I think it's horses for courses, and I think Shuey hinted at that. He may have made the excuse that was the reason for the change. But I, I think we, we can play both systems and we've got the personnel to play both systems. If we were more clinical with 4-3-3 in the last few games, we wouldn't be talking about 3-4-2-1. Yeah, does anyone think that we could have had pretty much the same result yesterday playing the formation that we've played or some variation on it for most of the season with, with the four at the back? Or is anyone willing to make the case that you know, those changes that, that Shuey made were kind of an integral part of the result. Because I do think, obviously, sometimes you can overanalyze the system a little bit and under uh, weight basically what Graham said, which is just playing well versus not. Very simply, at Bristol City, we were terrible. Um, and then, you know, obviously, there was really no shape. It wasn't It wasn't so much that the formation was, in my opinion, lacking as... The, the, you know, as anyone who's seen the still image of our of where our back four were leading up to Bristol City's third goal would attest there was, you know, we, we, were, we were not uh, playing that formation. We were completely out of shape. Yesterday, we just played really well. And, and I guess it's possible one could argue that, you know, we, we could have done that with a different formation. Does anyone want to weigh in on, on where they stand on that? I, I think oh, we, yeah. we, sorry, we can play both. And that's to Shuey's credit. And we win using both method, methods and we might lose some, but I think it puts us in a better position. And what Shuey did last season was a lot of in-game tactical changes. And I think this gives us the opportunity to do the same because after the second goal, effectively, we played with a back five, still scored four more goals. So um, it was great to watch, great to see how the system changed. And I think defensively we were more solid, but were Norwich a potent attacking threat? I don't think they were. Right. I sort of echo everything Graham said, really. I think there is a there was an element of that game yesterday where it was it was equally not only how good we were, but equally the failings of the opposition and you know, horses for courses and on a different day. The three-five-two might have left us completely vulnerable, or three-four-two-one, however you want to phrase it, would leave us completely vulnerable at the back, and we'd be we'd be run over in midfield, etc. I think occasion the the tactical switch works, and I know Shuey flippantly battered away the 
the praise that he received in the post-match press conference yesterday. You know, he didn't want the praise. He said the praise belonged to the players. But I think, you know, it's down to us essentially to praise Shuey for that change because it was so bad at Bristol that something had to change. And I, I actually thought we looked really solid at the back yesterday. I know, as Graham says, Norwich weren't exactly troubling us too much, but they did have little pockets of space they got into and they had little chances here or there. I know Hazard obviously made the the one save in the first half from distance, but there was another one from Ida in the second half before he scored that was low down that he had to react well to. But it wouldn't surprise me one bit if we go to Hull next Saturday and we revert back to the, the system we've played all season. I just think it'll, you know, Shuey goes on about every week how the tactics and the, the selection depends on opposition strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's what we will see with this system, um, albeit the 3-4-2-1 does seem um, to lend us a lot more fluidity in making in-game changes, as Graham's just said, than what, to my eyes, the 4-3-3 sort of leaves us a little bit restricted as to what we can change in-game without going, you know, gung all-out change, right, change everything. The 3-4-2-1, you can be a little bit more flexible with it. Um, so I think we'll just have to wait and see week in, week out, even though I am one of the committee members of the 3-4-2-1 fan club. Martin says, I think you've also got to praise Ryan Hardy as well. He may not have scored, but he ran himself ragged and contributed so much to the win, echoing uh, a point that Graham made earlier in the pod. Uh, Martin adds that Rams obviously is an absolute starter for me every week. Uh, Joshua Bohe says proper bounce back against an all right side in Norwich, reverted to the formation that won us 101 points last season. Morgs and Finn standouts, in my opinion. Bundu may well become my favourite Argyle player. Uh, and my new best friend, Michael Savage, says, are we now allowed to get excited about Bundu? What are five minutes? Um, to take some of those in turn, and I know we've already mentioned uh, a couple of them in passing. Dan, do you want to talk about Adam Randall's performance? Most definitely, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of different players getting a lot of praise for yesterday, quite rightly, because, you know, the, the man of the match vote, I think, the obvious pick is Whitaker, but I think there were a lot of really good kind of eight or nine out of 10 performances out there. But for me, my man of the match was Adam Randall. I thought he was immense at recycling possession and then, and then just being really, really smart with it, picking out good counter-attacking balls through um, to set up attacks if they were on or playing it more simple if they weren't. Proper midfield control with him and Houghton in there yesterday. Um, in theory, um, as as was mentioned earlier on, you know, dropping from like a 4-3-3 to this 3-4-2-1 potentially means you've got one less person in centre mid. You might lose a bit of midfield control. But Houghton and Randall were utterly dominant in there yesterday. They were didn't really give Norwich a sniff. Constantly snapping at their heels and pressing every time they, you know, try to play out through centre mid. It was a really just dominant performance from him. Um, and yeah, great to have him back in the team. It was, it was kind of like that form that he showed when he came back in at the end of last season, when he just really kind of galvanised that midfield, you know, Matete and Butcher and Halton were doing okay, but then Randall came back in and just really added that extra something to our midfield. And he was he was fantastic yesterday. Yeah, and I think we're. Yeah, I, um, I, to, to... I would echo that. I think it was his best ever 
game for Argyle. And he's, the number of killer passes he made, to his credit, I mean, I think he's struggled a little bit in the 4-3-3. You've got to be quick. You've got to pass the ball quickly. And he got called on possession once or twice. But yesterday, it was near, it's near perfection, a midfield performance, as you will see. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I think we, we you know, uh, maybe getting tired of saying every week how impressive Jordan Houghton has been this season. And I want to, to give him a shout out as well. I know Dan did mention him in the same breath as, as Randall there, but um, another absolutely outstanding performance from him. My personal man of the match yesterday was Finn Azaz. Uh, I gave him nine out of 10 in my ratings. Very, very close to a 10, but I thought he looked a little bit off the boil for the first 10, 15 minutes or so. Misplaced a couple of passes and therefore probably is not getting, uh, probably not up there with the level of performance that, for instance, Jerome Poku put in at Accrington away on a Tuesday night. One of the very rare 10 out of 10s I've ever given. You were desperate to get that in, weren't you? Yes. Um, however, um, I, as everyone listening to this podcast will know, I'm an enormous fan of Azaz. He's getting up there, I think, for me to be already one of my favourite ever players that I've seen in an Argyle shirt, if not the favourite, just in terms of the way he plays the game, I think is so beautiful to watch. And Sam, he was absolutely unbelievable yesterday, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He, he had some involvement in almost all of the goals, actually, didn't he? I think it was only the, the second. I think he didn't have any involvement. I think pretty much all of second, the other five. He, he put the ball in. He put the ball in for the second. Right. Which which one didn't he have the involvement in then? No, well, 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 literally all six of them then, because even for the sixth one, it was him who put that raking ball over the top. For the fifth, it was him that... For the fifth, it was him that laid it out to Hardy, who then crossed for Whitaker. No, the fourth, as I set up Whitaker for the hat trick goal for the second time uh, this hour. Right, yeah, yeah, I'm getting confused with the So, so okay, so that for the fourth, he himself scored. For the third, it, I think it was him that passed it to Whitaker. For the second, he put the ball in. So, was it the first? It was the one he wasn't involved in. So, for for five of the six goals and one other very big chance, he had a big involvement in. In, in five goals plus one other big chance, which to have that level of involvement in a game for any attacking player at all is absolutely extraordinary. One of the best, um, I think I think Graham said it was Randall's best game for us. I wouldn't disagree. I would think it was possibly Azaz's best game for us as well. The other one people would point to is Milton Keynes away last season when we won 4-1 and he had a big part in all four goals. But I just think that the higher level of opposition and the fact that he actually was involved in five goals yesterday was just absolutely fantastic. He Every time he got the ball, he looked like doing something dangerous. Um, the only reason it's on a 10, and this is the only reason, is maybe the first 25, he just took a little bit of time to get going and get into the game. Um, but that's the only reason he, he, he's, not a, he's not an outright 10. Um, he was absolutely fantastic after that point. He was flawless after that point. Uh, just an absolutely magnificent performance, not only in terms of the quality and the chances created, just what a pleasure he wants to watch. He made football into an art form in that game. And I think, remarkably, I'm still not sure whether or not I would give him man of the match because as, despite that, how amazing that was, Morgan Whitaker did literally get a hat-trick. And I think it's very, very hard to justify giving man of the match anything other than to the hat-trick scorer. But any other day, um, as Anthony Randall would, would, would be man of the match, um, respectively, with the performances they put in. That I, I did, I had a little bit of doubts about Finnesaz towards the maybe the January to March time of last season when we had our, should we say, mini-wobble? Because it wasn't a real wobble, it was, wobble, it was a mini-wobble. As Andrew just got back from injury, he wasn't putting in his best performances at all. 
he seemed a little bit off the pace, seemed a, you know, seemed like it maybe whether it was his head wasn't in the right place or whether he was just his body was struggling going back from injury. He seemed like he just wasn't quite the advanced that we knew before his injury. But then in the final month of last season, the, the last sort of game we were, last few games we went on that winning run, he was brilliant there. And he's come back in the championship after a bit of a prolonged transfer saga and he's been even better. I think he's been right up there with our very, very best players this season. And I would also like to give a shout out to Ryan Hardy, despite um, what a great season he's had. I think genuinely his best game, not necessarily his best game for the club, but his best game for us this season was yesterday. Not the games he scored. And I think even though he scored in the other games, he, he didn't put in such a fantastic all-round performance as what he did yesterday. He was constantly creating as well as just threatening yesterday. He was giving the defenders an absolute nightmare to deal with all afternoon. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just want to praise Hardy as well. I, I yeah, I um, said on this podcast last season that with the possible exception of Barry Bannon, I felt that Finazaz was the best outfield player in League One on pure technical ability. Now, now that's not to say that he always played up to that level. I think there have been question marks over consistency within. Obviously, you can't discuss that without um, taking into account that really bad injury that he had. I think it would be a stretch. I'm not Joe and with Lewis Gibson, so I'm not going to say he looks like the best player in the championship or anything like that on technical ability, but I think he is very, very top end um, on his day. Yesterday, he was just unbelievable against a very, very good championship side, albeit one on an off day. And I think there's a lot more to come from him as he as he beds into this lead. Graham, to return to Michael Savage's question, are we allowed to get excited about Bundu yet? I think he had two touches, was it? I've never seen two better touches from uh, somebody making their debut. So the, the the turn and pass down the left-hand side and then the ball bent round the defender for Kundal. I mean, they were impressive. You can't deny that. He's obviously got pace. He's got power. I wouldn't say he's an obvious choice for in the centre because I'm not sure... He's the sort of back-to-goal type player. But if you imagine him on either either flank running powerfully, I was quite excited just by two touches. Any, anyone else on the uh, Bundu Express already? I think one one thing Graham touched on is that he's maybe not the best back-to-goal player because without wanting to be anywhere, anywhere negative after such a great performance, I think the first few times he... He tried to win the ball uh, aerially. He he got beaten a little bit. So I'm not sure he's necessarily the guy to to win the ball, bring it down, and and then hold it up and bring others into play. I don't think that's really his game. Uh, but yeah, in terms of being able to to yes run at people, but also you know um at the, the technical side of it as well, because he he made that absolutely fantastic pass to Cundall for for the for the goal. The 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 time he took to. Because so many times you see players get the ball in the area and, and they panic a bit and they run at goal and they just try and, you know, try and shoot from, a, from an angle where a shot isn't really on. The the game intelligence for him to see Cundall coming and for him to put that ball across that landed perfectly at his feet was brilliant. And I think he had another good pass, you know, across goal about a minute or two before that to somebody else. So, yeah, I think it's important we know what his skill set is. I think he's a, probably not a, not a you know, a, a, whole, a Niall Ennis who can hold the ball up brilliantly and bring others into play. He's, he's you know, he, he's more akin to, to somebody who can... To, to maybe even, you know, the, the, the advantage and Cundall's over there in, in terms of creativity. I know it's a very small sample size, but he, he looked very creative in, in those in those moments we saw. And yeah, and, and he, he clearly had he clearly had that um that express pace in him as well. So 
lot lot of potential there for sure. Um, very very early days, so it's not getting too carried away. But you you can't uh, be anything other than positive with those two touches. And finally, before moving on from this segment on individual performances. Last but not least, I think we do have to talk just a little bit more. I know we've already been through his goals about Morgan Whitaker. Um, I think we saw yesterday when we were in the pub that Ryan Hardy has the most goal involvements of any player in the championship. And in second place uh, now is Whitaker um, after scoring his second, third and fourth goals of the season to add to his three assists to this point already. Um, you know, a player who obviously needs no hyping up uh, to our fans, but Joe, just how good is Morgan Whitaker? Um, I'm glad that I got to talk about Morgan Whitaker because I was only talking about Morgan Whitaker a couple of hours ago with somebody. And I think what is clear about Whitaker is that, and this goes for anyone in any walk of life, in any job, in any position that they might hold, that, when you're happy and you're comfortable in something, you are able to perform to your maximum potential, your maximum ability. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, stacking shelves in Tesco's to, you know, cleaning buses on a Sunday night or you're playing professional football. If you're happy in what you're doing, if you're comfortable in what you're doing, you are able to do your job properly. And the one thing that is abundantly clear now is that Morgan Whitaker is very happy where he is. He is comfortable in everything about his life. You know, he's moved down here. He's settled into the way of life. And he is just really, really enjoying his football. And it is a joy to watch because when Whitaker is happy and enjoying it, he's not an unplayable. And there were there are times where he just pops up in pockets of space and he just glides past players um, and I thought his three goals yesterday just showcased everything he's about. He had the composure with the first and third goal. He had the peace of mind to place that second strike so perfectly away from Angus Gunn into that corner of the net. Um, I just think his all-round game is a joy to watch. And, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't work out at Swansea City. You know, that happens with players. Um, he had a very good loan spell at Lincoln City the season before he came to us, where clearly he he was comfortable and enjoyed himself. Um, but his game is going to a new level. And without wishing to sound flippant and trying to bait people on social media and things. And it's very it's a silly thing to say when you think about the sum of money that it is. One million pounds in this day and age in the transfer market. Looks an absolute steal. Yeah, Ryan um, Hardy's worth ten. Well, apparently so. Yeah, um, but I mean, it's it's crazy, isn't it? And you know, long, long may Whitaker's happiness and enjoyment in the West Country continue because he could have a hell of a hell of a legacy at Argo by the time he's finished. Absolutely agree with all Joe's just said. I think that's such a such a great, insightful point about about you know psychology and, and being happy, and allowing you to play your full potential. Um, just as a bit of trivia, there can't be many players in the football league who've scored hat tricks for and against their current club. Uh, and and after the game yesterday, Whitaker has now done that. So it's a bit of a bit of a nice little statistic to add to to his armory. And the first Argyle player to score a hat trick in a home league game 
since Vincent Pericard against Coventry in 2006, which kind of feels crazy. It's been over 17 years since that last happened. We've obviously had plenty in away games. We've had a few in cup games as well, but just feel, feels a bit crazy. We've gone so long since having one. So uh, a much um, much needed, um, well, not much needed, obviously, but yeah, a, a nice way to end that statistic yesterday. Yeah, and I would like to apologise also when I uh, mentioned the Pericard precedent in the introduction. I did erase, um, as, as I'm sure Joe is very concerned to point out, Sam Cosgrove's excellent hat-trick in a very important game that helped us get to Wembley uh, last season. Um, a quick trivia question. There was also for... Ruben Reed hat trick against Lincoln in the FA Cup as well since then. A, a very quick trivia question for those who are not Sam, who I know knows the answer. Who scored Argyle's goal uh, the night that Morgan Whitaker scored a hat trick against us? Reese Shirley. Shirley, not. <laughs> yes, it was Reese Shirley. And Sam, whatever happened to him? He's in America. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Somewhere in America. I'm not sure. Um, like college uh, soccer, as it's known out there. Not sure who for from there, but he, he is in America. Yeah. Reese Shirley. Do, 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 do. Reese Shirley. That's enough of that. Um, he doesn't scan as well as the Billy Sharp one, in my opinion. Not at all. Cut, yeah. <laughs> one more uh, sort of serious question before uh, I'm going to move on to finish with a few nice uh fuzzy 6-2 witty reader uh, uh listener tweets um but andy cook asks do the last couple of results indicate a worrying lack of squad depth feel like we could be in trouble with a few injuries to key players um and it's quite remarkable that andy cook managed to tweet uh that after scoring a hat-trick himself for bradford at newport yesterday um i don't know if aaron has sent me this one by mistake and that this one came in after the preston and bristol city games um if it did it come must after, have done, yeah. If it did come in after yesterday, I guess what it could mean is, you know, does does yesterday indicate that when all of our players are fit and firing, we look absolutely class, but there isn't much, you know, to, to back it up based on based on Tuesday night. I think it's a question that is worth addressing again. Um, Graham, how do you see that one? Well, don't forget the two rights weren't in the squad yesterday, so we've actually got a squad of twenty-two. Lots of those are interchangeable. Should should there be dips in form or injuries or suspensions? I think given the resources we've had, I think the squad depth is as good as it can be. And they're capable of playing a number of different ways, which is the flexibility I'm sure that Shuey desired. So <clears throat> I think it's certainly good enough. I mean, funny enough, speaking to some Norwich fans after the game, they didn't think their squad depth was good enough. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. You've got championship, premiership players and you've paid millions for them. So um, I think our squad depth is as, as good as it can be in the circumstances of the, the resources that we had. So, yeah, I would say it is. Yeah, and obviously Norwich, would... Norwich, Norwich yesterday um, maybe would have been a different proposition if they'd had Ashley Barnes and uh, Todd Flat. I mean, Josh Sargent uh, fits to play for them up front. Sorry, Sam, I think you were going to jump in. Or was it Joe? It was, yeah, it was me. Um, I was just going to agree with what Graham said and also say that, in my opinion, looking at that game when I watched it back and I saw the team sheet and I wrote it out in front of me, I'm much happier with our squad depth when we play. It might sound stupid, but I'm much happier with our squad depth if we set up 3-4-2-1 than I am if we set up 4-3-3, only because we don't have to worry about having a fit left back when we play three at the back and wing backs. 
Um, whereas when we play four at the back, the overwhelming issue I have is that we are short of a left back. Um, whereas I think we can cover it playing a wing back system like we do with the the three four two one. I agree with that. What I would add is, without wanting to name any names on on this podcast, being a happy podcast, but I also feel that under the four three three. There are a couple of players who, shall I say, maybe nicely are not our strongest players in terms of ability, who are only one or two injuries away from having to start under the 4 3 3. Whereas I think with the 3 4 3, it allows us to, to spread players who can play multiple positions a little bit easier and allow us to, to build a stronger team while still rotating a bit as well. So I think that that's also a benefit of having that. Yeah, I said on the pod last week after the Preston game that I felt. Shuey picked an overly strong side, which can sound like a bit of a perverse thing to say. But what I meant by it was he played sort of the best 11 players you could argue that we actually have at the club. And then you leave yourself with not a huge amount necessarily to bring off the bench. I wasn't on the Twitter space that I'm sure Sam hosted so wonderfully on Wednesday. But my criticism after Bristol City was he went to completely the other extreme. And it was a far too, it was far too weak a lineup, frankly. Um, I, I think... You know, I said before the game yesterday, I think there's a happy medium to be found between the two where you start a really competitive side at this level, but you have players who can come on uh, and, and make a difference. And I felt that we I felt that we did that yesterday because Hayden came off the bench, who is uh, would other, you know, otherwise have started, I think, every game or close to it for us. Uh, obviously, you know, we were able to bring on Kundal as well, who scored. Uh, Bundu came on for his debut, which which is, you know, this is no knock on, on Ben Wayne, a player I like a lot, but gave us you know a different type of option to be able to bring on up front to see out a game. So, yeah, I I feel uh, that while the squad depth could be better, uh, as, you know, as Graham notes about Norwich fans' complaints, um, you can't, only a very few clubs at this level have the resources to have just an unbelievably deep squad of, of players where you can just rotate in and out and it's the same effect. Um, and I think that we are looking in a pretty good place with that, um, certainly after, uh, more so after yesterday than after Tuesday. Um, to end with some nice tweets, given the novelty of scoring so many goals that Sam is massively confused about who did what in relation to all of them. Richard Knoll says, attack, 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 three at the back. Fantastic performance for the lads. Nice to see a league home park hat-trick for the first time since Vincent Pericar. Sam can hopefully confirm that while well, he already has. Um, and the question is, when did we last score six at home? I think Sam mentioned already uh, we beat Newport in, in the promotion game under Derek Adams. I think, Sam, we were saying yesterday as well, there was a 6-0 win against Tranmere that I remember because it was on my birthday in 2003. And I think you said there was a 6-1 win over Peterborough as well, um, going back a little there bit. There was, and of course, let's not forget the 7-0 over Chesterfield. That was 6-0 at half-time. And we were actually 5-0 up inside 18 minutes, which I'm sure has probably never happened in the EFL since, or probably for a very long time before. Yeah, uh, yeah, 6-1 against Peterborough. That was in the year we came eight from the Paul Sturrock. 6-0 against Tranmere the year we won the league and 7-0 uh, against Chesterfield the year we won the league and 6-1 against Newport, obviously. The year we got, the, well, the very day, in fact, we got promoted under Derek Adams and the 6-2 yesterday. Those are the only times we scored six um, since I've been a fan, which is about 22 years now. Uh, Lee Smith uh, asks, have there been two more contrasting games in a row from the ridiculous to the sublime in four days. Graham, in your year supporting the club, can you remember two more contrasting games in a row? No. Simple answer. But then, <clears throat> that was down to the two different teams, wasn't it? So, it's difficult to compare. If it had been the same team that had lost and then won in different manners, that would be different. But I think the Bristol game, by consensus, was 
well, apart from the first eight minutes, which was a shambles, was largely down to the changes in personnel. Sam, Sam would no doubt, uh, Joe would no doubt like to note the huge difference between 4-0 against Bolton and 3-1 at Morecambe. I mean, that, 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 let's be honest, that 3-1 <laughs> at Morecambe game was very far. It was a great win on the day and it was a great day, but that was very far from our best performance, that 3-1 win at Morecambe. So it was a contrast, but nowhere near as much of a contrast as, as yesterday. I'm going to be a massive anorak here and pull this one out from 2005 uh, when we beat Brighton 5-1 at home and then the following game lost 5-1 at Sunderland. So there we go. Just throw that one in. Mathematically, that actually does take the cake from this week. Dan has won the, the car. Thank Rick you. Hartington says, from an attacking perspective at least, can anyone name a better performance by an Argyle team? It was immense. Uh, I think Graham already had an answer to this one earlier on when he said that was you know, one of, if not the best performance that he can remember. Joe, from an attacking perspective, can you remember a better performance by an Argyle team? Off the top of my head, no. Um, if I was given time to go back three games, I'd probably be able to find an equally impressive one. But, you know, it's it, it, the the point is right. You know, every every time we crossed the halfway line, it looked like we would score. Um, and, you know, six was perhaps... a. In the end, who thought we'd say this? Six was flattering on Norwich, really, um, because it, you know, if that had been seven or eight, um, I don't think they could have complained too much because they were woeful at the back, massively open, and we executed our plan fantastic, and we were incredibly clinical and ruthless, which is um, not something that we've been able to say too much. I know we said it in the last home league game against Blackburn that we were. We were ruthless and clinical when we got our when we eventually got our foothold in the game, um, but yeah, I mean this was just outstanding to watch twice in a day. Um, I watched it, so um, it was very enjoyable. Finally, Lewin Reed says, "Nice to get the goal difference back from Tuesday." And the final word to James Bradder on Facebook, who says, "My boy, who's eight years old, had tears of joy running down his cheeks. It meant the world to him today." Brilliant result. Well done, lads, with 11 green hearts. I think we'll call that a day. But there we go. And it just remains for me to say thank you and goodbye to those who have joined me on the pod this evening. Good night, Aaron. John, sorry. Thank you. See you the next time that we ban Aaron from hosting. Keep it green. That's the end of another episode of Green and White, brought to you by Argyle Life. Before you go, please make sure you drop us a review on whichever podcast platform you are using and make sure you follow us on Twitter at ArgoLife1886. Cheers. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.